want to wish a huge happy Father's Day to everybody at the Bolingbrook campus and everybody at the 95th Street campus, everyone here at Hobson. So glad to be with you all. Dads, you have given, you have sacrificed, you have been devoted to your kids in heroic fashion, and we are grateful. So happy Father's Day. Want to see? Huh? Look at that, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, I want to show you something really uh, special. Some would say sacred. Do you know what this is? Huh? Here we go. Let's see. Oh, oh. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, this is one of the Cubs insignias. Fly the W, as they say. And uh, I wonder if, you know, you've seen the W around. What does it mean? What's the meaning? What does it stand for? Win. You say win. I must confess, when I see the W, I see a graphic representation of my experience with the Cubs. And let me explain uh, exactly what I mean. It's got its ups and its downs. Graph, get it? It all began on a high note for me back in 1984, back when I was in high school. The Cubs were awesome! Ryan Sandberg, remember, he was batting 314 that season. Uh, most valuable player of the National League. And then Rick Sutcliffe uh, was the star pitcher back then, Cy Young winner. His season was 16-1. and one. He lost one game all season. Those days back in 84 were glorious. They had 96 wins that season, more wins than they had had in four decades. And they almost made it to the World Series. All they needed was one more win, and they would have been in the World Series back in 84. Well, those high days followed a path of do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, down, 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 down. And the Cubs entered a very dark and very painful season where we were the lovable losers, you know, and it was really hard. But then... 2003, oh my, do you remember 2003? The Cubs pitching staff was extraordinary. Their top three pitchers were under 26 years of age, just young punks. Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, Carlos Zambrano. This young band of pitchers were the best in all of Major League Baseball. They had 100 more strikeouts than any other team in the, in the league. And so it was just glorious. And yes, 03 was the year that they were five outs away from the World Series. They uh, went into the eighth inning, winning, leading three to nothing. All they had to do was get five more outs, and they were gone. But remember uh, Steve Bartman, the fan who interfered with the foul ball and stopped them from getting that out? Ever since Bartman, the Cubs entered a season of decline where they didn't win a playoff game for 12 years. So, so painful. But then what? 2016 and the World Series champions. And as a Cub fan, you just learn to ride the roller coaster, if you know what I mean. I also feel for Cubs players. You'd think being a professional ball player would be all glory. Well, not so. If you happen to be at one of these high points, yes, 
you can be celebrated. We, in 2016, rode them around on the tops of buses and cheered for them like they were the kings of the world. But if you happen to be in one of these low points, Cubs fans will boo, boo, and throw stuff on the field in their worst expression. And so being a professional athlete, it all depends if you're at a high or if you're at a low as to how you feel about yourself and how others treat you. This is kind of like life, wouldn't you agree? Life is a roller coaster. It's got its high points and its low points. And how you feel about yourself tends to be a factor of where you are on the graph. If you're at a high point, you feel great. Maybe today's a high point for you. You know, it's Father's Day, and your kids are writing nice cards saying, you're the best dad in the world. Yeah, well, wait till next week when they tell you, I can't believe you're like this. You know, no father treats our kid this way. You are the worst dad in the world. You're like, wait a minute. What happened? You know, or, or marriage. You know, we, we get engaged, and our fiancé is falling all over themselves, saying, you are so handsome, so wonderful, so charming. You're the most wonderful. You know, ten years later, they're like, I can't stand you, you know? And they, they make us feel like dirt. And when work is going well, we feel like the champion of the world. And when work is doing poorly, we feel like scum. You know, this is just kind of the, the, the ride of life. And the danger is that our emotional well-being, our sense of self, is dictated by circumstances. And as a result, we feel great when we're doing well. And we feel like we are dirt when we're doing poorly. That's not good. And we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul how to ride the roller coaster, if you will. So... Just to give you a reminder of where we are in this series, let me put up a map. And this map reminds us that the Apostle Paul, way over in Israel, Jerusalem in particular, he was arrested. He became a prisoner for his faith because he was a Christian. He was sentenced in Caesarea to appear before the emperor of Rome in Rome, which required him to be a prisoner in transport loaded onto a ship with soldiers led by a centurion guarding him and some other prisoners as he was shipped to Rome. Their adventure on the high seas was just that, quite an adventure. They got uh, past the island of Crete when a hurricane force wind came down and they lost control of the ship. And for two weeks, The storm was unrelenting, and they were at the mercy of the winds and waves as the storm just beat and pounded the boat. Well, they got most dangerous last week when they arrived near Malta, this little island here. Why is it most dangerous? Well, we learned that boats, when they get near shallow waters, run the risk of hitting the rocks and the sandbars and breaking into pieces and It's still too far from that land for a swimmer to make it in a storm. And so this is often where uh, the most lives are lost. Last week, Paul was the hero. Do you remember? As they realized, hey, you know, it's not going to be long before this ship breaks and sinks to the bottom of the sea. Paul says, why don't we eat the food? It's just going to go down anyways. We've gone two weeks without eating. This is crazy. So Paul called for a feast. 
And Paul said, eat as much as you want. Eat anything you want. And the people, by eating and giving thanks to God, as Paul led them in prayer, they experienced a high point of their journey. The passage says they were encouraged. Their spirits were lifted. Paul was the hero hosting the feast. But that hero status is very quickly about to change. Let me read. We are turning now in the Bibles to Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 39. When daylight came, and and they have not seen daylight for two weeks. The storm was so fierce. No sun during the day, no, no stars at night, but it's starting to ease up. When daylight came, they did not recognize, or they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. Can you imagine how delightful that sight was? Where they decided to run the ship aground, that is, if they could. And so cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. And at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders, and then they hoisted the foresail to the wind, and they made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground, and the bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the surf pounding it. So if you can imagine, the boat is stuck on the sandbar and the waves are still ferocious and the ship is already fragile and it just starts to crumble with the pounding of these waves. Verse 42, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion, the chief of the soldiers, He wanted to spare Paul's life, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. All right, why are the soldiers wanting to kill Paul and the other prisoners? Well, their job was one with severe consequence. If soldiers failed to get their guys uh, to the destination, they could suffer capital punishment. They could be killed for their failure. And when they saw the boats crumbling and it's going to be chaos and this is a chance for the prisoners to escape, they said the only thing worse than not getting them to their destination is allowing criminals to be free. And so let's kill them. So at least we're not responsible for them getting away. Look at this. The Apostle Paul is being, he's feasting with these guys. Cheers, you know, having a great time. They love him. These same soldiers are now drawing their swords to cut him down and slaughter him. That's, that's life. Now, thankfully, the centurion had a soft spot in his heart for Paul and went out of his way to say, guys, do not kill them. In fact, the centurion ordered all the people to try to make a way to get to land. Let me read. Verse 43 continues. He, the centurion, ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first. And get to the land. The rest, those who couldn't swim, were to get on planks or any other piece of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Paul had predicted 
prophetically that everyone was going to survive this ordeal. And sure enough, his, his prophecy came true. As the swimmers swam and were able to make it, and the non-swimmers clung to floating debris, and eventually the waves washed them ashore, and they all made it. Verse, uh, actually, now we're in chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire. They welcomed us all because it was rainy and cold. So you got to imagine this dramatic moment. These half-drowned castaways are crawling up the sand beach of this island called Malta, and they look up and they see the islanders, kind of a primitive island, coming out of the woods or the forest. And that's a tense moment. They're not invited. They are trespassers on this island. And you could anticipate the possibility of the islanders attacking, but not so. These islanders had unexpected love and kindness And these islanders said, be our guests. Welcome to our island. They rolled out the red carpet, if you will. They treated them like VIPs. They built a fire and said, here, let us serve you so that you can warm up in this cold weather. How delightful. Sir Paul, what a morning, huh? He goes from being celebrated as the host of the feast to being cut down as a criminal who can't escape to now being welcomed as a VIP by these islanders. The journey continues. Are you ready? Next, it says in verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. He's trying to help build the fire is what he's doing. And as he put it on the fire, a viper, that's a poisonous snake, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. (laughs) Wonderful. So these hospitable islanders who had been so nice to him see this poisonous snake hanging from his hand, and they're like, Oh, wait a minute. The sea almost killed him, and now the minute he lands on our island, a snake bites him. So clearly they're pagans, One of the goddesses must be trying to bring punishment on this guy. Therefore, we assume he is a criminal of the worst sort. He must be a murderer. And these nice, hospitable hosts are now looking at him glaring, going, You are disgusting! You are a criminal of the worst sort! You, you murderer! Wow. Well, it's not over. We read on, verse 5, But Paul shook the snake off and into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. God miraculously prevented the poison from killing him. Verse 6, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a while and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he must be a god. (laughs) Unbelievable. Talk about riding the roller coaster. What a day for the Apostle Paul. 
You're the hero of the feast. We're going to kill you down and slaughter you in cold blood. Welcome to our island. We're honored to have you. You must be a murderer. We can't stand you. We're going to worship you as a god. Unbelievable. And yet Paul, he had experienced this sort of thing in his life. And he had found the secret to not let it affect him. When they worshipped him as a god... Did he say, oh, I guess I am a God? No. He said, get up off your knees. What are you doing? I'm no God. And when they said, you're a despicable murderer or you deserve to be slaughtered, did that affect him? No. Circumstances may change. Paul's security did not. And you say, how does, how does a guy do that? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to transition now to a, a passage in 1 Corinthians written by Paul, this guy, It gives us a window into his heart and reveals the secret to his emotional consistency, his stability and his own sense of self-worth, even when circumstances go like that. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 8. He being Christ, Christ appeared to me, Paul says. That's That's in reference to a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to Paul. He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, Paul says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, this is some good stuff. Are you ready? Here's a man whose identity is grounded in who he is in Jesus. He's not going to think too high of himself. He's not going to think too low of himself. This tension is expressed twice. Once in this first sentence. Let me highlight it. He, Jesus, appeared to me. That's a high statement. One of the greatest privileges of that early Christian era was to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. If you were honored to have met, to have seen the resurrected Christ, oh my, how fortunate were you. And Paul says, God chose for Christ to appear to me. That's kind of the lofty part of this statement. But you ready for the low part? As to one abnormally born a weird statement. Sounds weird and that scholars have struggled with it. The the Greek word for abnormally born is ektroma. Ektroma means born wrongly or born with something wrong. It's, It's a reference to a birth defect. And in the actual Greek here is there's the the definitive article, the is there. So it's the birth defect. I am the, you know, they use this in derision as a name in the early days. It kind of meant the freak or the monster. It was a horrible, horrible name that people would be called. And scholars, many speculate that Paul is actually quoting a name that the people in Corinth, or at least some of them, called him. They call me the freak. Why? Well, here, let me tell you about Corinth. Corinth was a city where Paul had a lot of opposition, even within the church. 
there were some pseudo-Christians, some pseudo, they called themselves the super apostles. How about that? And they were opposed to Paul. They were Paul's enemies. Paul deals with them in the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians quite a lot. In fact, Paul quotes them calling him names. You can read these two books and you'll find in them that there's one place where Paul says, they say of me in person, I'm not impressive. Could be translated, my appearance is not impressive, which means ugly. And so Paul was called ugly. Maybe that's why he was called the freak, that he physically was uh, unattractive. Paul says, they say I'm ugly. They say, there's another place, they say I'm timid, which is a coward. They call me a coward. There's another place that says, they say that my speaking doesn't amount to much, which is I'm a lousy preacher. These guys bombarded Paul with insults. This was just the reality Paul lived in. But do you see, does it affect Paul? Paul just says, I'll just remind everybody in Corinth, he appeared to me. He appeared to the freak. And there's this tension between, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll own the title. I'm the freak, if you want to call me that. But I am also one who has been blessed with an appearance of the resurrected Christ. Do you see that high and low tension in that statement? It's in the next one, too. Let's highlight the next sentence. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Where's the high and low there? Well, first of all, he's, he's acknowledging, I am an apostle. And I'll tell you, if you don't know, the, the term apostle was the highest title imaginable in the early church. It meant someone who had seen the resurrected Christ and represented him in leadership. And it was a huge honor to be called an apostle. And Paul carried that honor. Now, before he thinks too much of himself, he would remind himself and you, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. Paul was keenly aware of his sin. And before he became a Christian, he had been enemy number one of Christians, hunting them down, trying to persecute and kill Christians. And so Paul's like, this is just weird, is it not? But I'm like one who has seen Christ, and yet I'm the freak. And I'm one who's the apostle of the church, and yet I'm the persecutor, the sinner of God's people. And one could ask, how do you reconcile these highs and lows? Right here, next screen. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Do you see what Paul's saying? I have high status, but it's all grace. I don't deserve any of it. You want to know how a Christian can avoid pride and can avoid insecurity? Say this, by the grace of God, I am who I am. I have an identity in Christ that is so noble, and yet I don't deserve any of it. It's all grace, undeserved blessing. Folks, that's the key. You want to avoid being arrogant in the highs and you want to avoid being insecure in the lows. You have your identity firmly grounded in Christ. Say, I know who I am. And by the grace of God, I am who I am. And circumstances can't affect that. That's what Paul did. Here, let let me develop this a little further. The Apostle Paul spoke of 
many different facets of our identity in Christ, but there were three that he just spoke about a lot in his epistles. Let me offer them to you as a reminder of who you are in Christ, shall I? Next slide. Here's our identity in Christ. Paul starts with this. You are, he goes, I am a son, a son of God. In the case of the ladies, I'm a daughter of God. This is the doctrine of adoption, which Paul spoke of more than any other biblical writer. Paul was mesmerized by the fact that we can call him Abba, Paul would say. Abba means daddy. Paul says, do you realize who you are? Not only have you been reconciled to God through the grace of Christ, you have not just been reconciled, not like we were enemies and we're no longer enemies, but Paul says, you have been adopted into his family. You are a son, a daughter of the king of kings. When the father looks at you, it's all love. He looks at you on this Father's Day. Know this, your greatest father is your heavenly father. And he wants to wrap his arms around you this Father's Day and say, you're my son, my daughter. Call me Abba. I mean, affection is all over this identity that is ours. Mind-boggling, if you really understand it. Number two, saint. One of the things Paul talked a lot about is that our identity in Christ is that we are saints. Now, I'll warn you, in the NIV, the New International Version, it's translated holy people. But that's what a saint is. It's a holy person. And Paul, probably like 49 times, I think I saw, speaks of Christians being saints, holy people. Now, to clarify, you say, oh yeah, this is where Christians think they're so good. No, no. This is by grace I am who I am. We're sinners who have been so forgiven that our guilty status has been washed away. And when we stand before Almighty God in prayer, entering his presence, we stand holy, washed by the blood of Christ, spotless in our standing. When the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see, what a mess. He, He sees people who have been made holy by the grace of Christ, washing away their sin. And so we hold our heads up high. And you say, I don't know about that. How can you be holy when you've got so much junk in your life? By the grace of God, I am who I am. You see? Saint. Here, another one. Paul, Paul loved the concept of being a soldier. He spoke frequently about us, spiritually speaking, being soldiers in God's army, devoted to fight the good fight to advance the kingdom of God, to give our lives on the battlefield of Christian service. I will live to advance the cause, Paul would say. I will help build up the church and make it strong and beautiful. I will help people who are far from God discover eternal life with Christ. I will help Christians soar and grow in their Christian walk. I will fight to advance the cause of Christ. Paul talked, this is who you, here's the question. What amount of failure or hardship can take this away? Nothing. Your identity in Christ is rock solid. It doesn't matter what highs and lows circumstantially you go through. This doesn't get affected. Here, this is so difficult because when we go through a low, sometimes it's a relational conflict where people tell us, you are worthless. No, I'm not. I'm a son. I'm a saint. I'm a soldier. 
Or we go through a loss. That's another thing that happens in hardship. We lose a person or our business or our money or our health. And in the, in the loss, it's tempting to think I've lost my identity. No, I haven't. I'm still a son. I'm still a saint. I'm still a soldier. Or we go through failure. Sometimes uh, hardship is because of failure. And we once were doing well, but oh boy, we just did terrible. Yeah. Are we a loser? Well, I failed there. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm a son or a daughter. I'm a saint, forgiven and cleansed before Jesus. And I'm a soldier of Almighty God. This one's son speaks to his love. It's an affection thing. This one speaks to the quality of my life. I have been made pure and holy. This one speaks to the significance of my life. I have a mission to fight till the death for my God. And these glorious identity markers cannot be taken away from you. Now, if you're looking to your circumstances to say, I'm happy and feel great about myself when things are going well and I feel like dirt when they're bad, you're going to be in for a very painful emotional ride. But if, like Paul, you base your identity on who you are in Christ, <laughs> nothing can change that. Let me, let me give you a, 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 an example in a real human being. Let me tell you about Eric Little. Maybe you've heard about Eric. Here's a picture. Eric, this is going back 100 years almost, Eric was a gold medalist in the Paris Olympics in 1924, all right? Here you see him crossing the finish line, fastest man on planet Earth, winning the gold medal. He was from uh, Scotland, represented the United Kingdom. Uh, He was the hero. Next slide shows him being carried here on the soldiers. He was paraded through cities as everyone. He was the most famous athlete in the UK at that time. And he just lived the high life. The people wined and dined him. He was the guest of celebrities and powerful people. The girls, here he's a young bachelor, the most sought-after bachelor in the land, fawning all over him. He had it all. And at the age of 24, he walked away from it all. He felt God's call to be a missionary in China, said goodbye to riches, fame, honor, and glory. When he showed up in China to be a missionary, he was living in squalor, poverty. What did the name Eric Little mean in China? Nothing. No one had ever heard of him. What did his identity as a runner mean in this obscure corner of China? Nothing. They didn't run competitively there. The only reason they ran was to escape animals trying to kill them. And so, you know, no one was impressed with him. All respect, all glory, gone. Fame, girls, all was just gone. If he got any looks, it was glares as people wondered, who is this weird-looking white guy, you know, and... And, and yet, here's the irony. Eric Little loved China, loved life in China, lost his identity, and loved life. People back home were shocked. Everybody was talking, how can this guy give it all up? Well, here's how. I made a misstatement a little bit ago. I said he lost his whole identity. Let me clarify. 
He lost his whole identity as to how the world would judge him. Next slide. Did he lose his identity in Christ? No, 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 no. Paul Little, from the time he was a kid, celebrated, I am a son of the living God, and nothing will ever take that away. I am a saint made holy in God's eyes by the grace of Christ, and I am a soldier to fight for the advance of God's kingdom. And you can tell me I got 10 gold medals or zero gold medals, and it'll never change this. This is evidenced by the fact that you may know this about Eric Little. He could have had two golds. In fact, his best event was done on Sunday, the Sabbath. And Eric believed that I have a commitment to the Lord, and I believe that I honor the Lord by resting on the Sabbath, which meant for him, no participation in that event. People were so confused. They're like, wait a minute. You will crush everybody. A gold medal is being handed to you, and you're saying no thank you? Eric Little's like, yeah, that's right. I'm saying no thank you. How can that be? Here's why. He never found his self-esteem in how many gold medals were hanging around his neck or what the people thought of him. He found his esteem in what does God think of me? And I believe God wants me to take a pass, so for God, I will take a pass. Folks, it didn't matter if he lost medals or won them. It didn't matter if people recognized him or didn't. It didn't matter if he was cheered or booed. He had his identity rock solid, grounded in Christ. And I pray you do too. I pray this Father's Day, you know that God is, if you're a Christian, God is your Father. And look at him, because he's looking at you. And he's whispering, daughter, son, I love you more than you'll ever know. And hold your head up high, no cowering in shame. Your sin has been taken away. You stand as a beautified one, a holy one, forgiven and cleansed of all your failure. And hold up I, because you have purpose in life. You are a soldier living to advance the cause of your God in any way he would call you to fight for him. And no amount of hardship can ever take that away. Here's what we're going to do. In fact, Could you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to sing a song. It's a song that many of you know and love, and it's a great song for Father's Day because it's about God being our Father. About God being our Father and about our identity being grounded not in circumstances, but grounded in who we are to Him. So I'll pray, and then we'll sing. Lord, So many of us have ridden the roller coaster and it's affected us emotionally in that same way. We have had great moments thinking we're wonderful and terrible moments thinking we're a mess and we're sick of having a self-esteem in the mud. We want to be like Paul. We want to be like Eric Little. We want to be unflappable because our self-identity is grounded in you. So God, please remind my friends this Father's Day that you are their Father. Remind them that though they have failed in so many ways, they are saints, forgiven ones. That's their eternal identity. And remind them that they're soldiers. God, please whisper to them that they have a high calling to fight big battles in little ways. 
to advance your cause. God, may we all be unflappable and secure in the identity you've given us. We call you Abba, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.